And I ask you to continue to pray for me, if you would. If you want to go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to Isaiah, the 20th chapter. Let's go ahead and get our scripture in front of us this morning as we consider the next servant in the servant series. And this is, I'll admit, is a little unusual. And you may be a little confused or wondering about this reading of scripture, but hang with me and we'll hopefully bring it out to honor the Lord and make sense for us to understand how it applies to us. Isaiah 20, in verse 1, In the year that Tartan came unto Ashdod, when Sargon the king of Assyria sent him, and fought against Ashdod, and took it, at the same time spake the Lord by Isaiah the son of Amoz, saying, Go and loose the sackcloth from off thy loins, and put off thy shoe from thy foot. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. And the Lord said, Like as my servant Isaiah hath walked naked and barefoot three years for a sign and wonder upon Egypt and upon Ethiopia, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptians' prisoners and the Ethiopians' captives, young and old, naked and barefoot, even with their buttocks uncovered, to the shame of Egypt. You may say, what in the world does this have to do with anything? Well, first of all, it has a little bit to do with the vest that I'm wearing this morning. I haven't worn a vest, I don't think, since I was about seven years old. I know y'all were wondering about that. Some of you said something about it. I like that vest, Brother Tim. I intentionally wore this today, number one, because I bought it a few weeks ago, but specifically for today in thinking about this subject. I'm a little uncomfortable because I haven't worn a vest in many years. But it could be a lot worse. (laughs) If the Lord told me to take my shirt off and my shoes off and preach to you with a bare chest and no shoes on. Of course, the Lord did not tell me to wear a vest today. That's not my point. But I'm trying to emphasize to you what kind of servant Isaiah was. And the subject this morning is the servant is a sign. We've talked about many different servants who did this, who had this characteristic, who acted this way. But in this particular subject this morning, we're going to see that the servant himself is a sign. And you may be wondering what a sign is. We'll talk about that. And specifically, God tells Isaiah, I want you to take your shirt off and I want you to take your shoes off and walk in front of these people. My people, Israel or Judah at that time. And he says, you're going to be a sign and a wonder to them, and you're going to make a point to them by the way that you present yourself. And you may be asking the question, how in the world can I make a difference in society, in the culture, and even before the Lord by what I wear or how I present myself? And I assure you, based on the authority of the Word of God, you can. (laughs) You can. How you present yourself as a servant of God is a sign. It's a sign to the culture. It's a sign to God. It's a sign uh, to the kingdom of God. So as we consider that this morning, I feel a little, I've got the cat out of the bag, you know, I've got the vest on, I've acknowledged it, so I feel a little more relaxed. (laughs) But I want you to see just how uncomfortable it would have been for a guy like Isaiah to walk around with no shirt and no no shoes on. Now let me say this, the definition of, of nakedness from the Old Testament would be a little bit different than what we would have today. What God told Isaiah to do, basically, was to take off his prophet's outer garment. They wore, the prophets wore a specific outer garment. You'll see that with men like Elijah, 
men like John the Baptist. They had a specific attire that they wore, and it was not something nice. It was nowhere near like a three-piece suit or anything like that. But it was an attire or a jacket or an outer coat that signified this guy's a prophet. So God was telling him basically to take your outer covering off and take your shoes off and go around without your outer covering, which would have been a very unusual sight to behold in those days, not only from a prophet, but also just from a cultural standpoint. It would have been, you would have said, whoa, what's that guy's doing? He doesn't have his, he doesn't have his shirt on when he didn't have his outer coat on. Does that make sense? Okay, so who was Isaiah? Isaiah is one of the most interesting characters in the scripture. It's believed historically that Isaiah may have lived to be 125 which was a very long time for those days. Uh, the time frames for people living in those days had shortened down to our, what we know today, you know, 70, 80, maybe 90 years old. It's believed he may have lived 125. And of those 125 years, he may have prophesied 80, 80 years. I was just thinking about how long the Lord has blessed me to be in the ministry, you know, 20 years or so. And if, if I was living in Isaiah's time or had a ministry like Isaiah, I'd just be getting started. 80 years of preaching, and also he is the most quoted in the New Testament besides the Psalms. Besides the Psalms, he is the most quoted from the Old Testament in the New Testament. He also, uh, Isaiah is the way that John the Baptist begins his ministry in all of the Gospels. Very consistent. He says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, which comes from the book of Isaiah. It's also interesting to note that Christ's first message that we read in public was a quote from Isaiah. In Luke, the fourth chapter, you have Jesus beginning his, his earthly messages with a quote from Isaiah. I think he's important, don't you? Now, Isaiah, that's who he was. He's one that's quoted very often in the New Testament, but I want you to think about when he was also. I was reading some archaeological stuff here recently, and in February of 2018, February of 18. Some archaeologists over in the Middle East found a seal that they believe had the name of Isaiah on it. That's just three years ago, guys. That's amazing to think that even the archaeological and historical evidence is still being uncovered for men like this. You say, how do we know it was this Isaiah? Well, it was found very close to something that they know was connected to Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, which was one of the kings that he prophesied during that kingdom. So even the archaeological evidence tells us there was a man named Isaiah. How could we have these 66 books of Isaiah and, and him not have existed? He was a real man and he was an effective prophet. He preached in those 80 years, he preached through at least four kings, maybe five. He started out at the end, you'll read in Isaiah 6, that he saw the Lord high and lifted up in the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was one of the few good kings of Judah, and he had been a king for 52 years. Now, Uzziah had a very sad end. Uzziah is the one that went into the temple and put his hands on the temple, and the priests had to run him out, and the Lord struck him with leprosy. Y'all may remember that in your reading. So the king, Uzziah, who for 50-something years had been an incredible king, in the last three or four years of his life, he, he had a very sad end because God struck him with leprosy because he was doing something he wasn't supposed to be doing and he was in a place he wasn't supposed to be in. And so Uzziah was run out of the temple. And then another king comes along, the son of Uzziah. His name was Jotham. Now I want you to you say, well, you're just giving us a boring history lesson. I hope this isn't a boring history lesson because I want you to hear what happened and what Isaiah consistently preached through for all of those decades. 
He started out in the days of Uzziah. And that's when he saw the Lord high and lifted up in the year that King Uzziah died, which was a very sad and tragic year. That's when he saw the holy, holy, holies being proclaimed in the temple and the Lord's train, his, his garment filling the temple and the pillars of the temple shaking at the power of the voice. Okay? So you go on down after the days of Uzziah, you have Jotham, and it says that Jotham, the son of Uzziah, never went into the temple. You don't think that what your parents do and what your grandparents do have an impact on what you do? You see, Uzziah was rightly run out of the temple. He was not supposed to be in there acting like a priest. He wasn't a priest. And so they ran him out of the temple. God struck him with leprosy because as a, as a discipline for what he was doing and violating God's law. And then the son said, well, dad got leprosy going in the temple. I'm not going in. That's sad, isn't it? How what the, the acts of the father affected the acts of the son. And that was about a 16 year period of time that Jotham was on the throne. Isaiah's preaching the whole time. He's preaching. He's preaching. Don't you know he was preaching... Jotham, go back in to worship the Lord. Don't go in there and do what the priests are doing, but go in there and do what you know you're supposed to do. And he wouldn't do it. You say, well, things couldn't get worse. Yes, they could. Because next, after Jotham, a fellow named Ahaz, the son of Jotham, becomes the king. You'll read about this in 2 Kings 16. And in the 16-year of reign of Ahaz, Ahaz reinstituted the national policy of abortion, the murder of the unborn, or the murder of the young. Ahaz reinstituted the national policy of idolatry where you worship things other than God. Ahab, uh, Ahaz, not Ahab, Ahaz also devalued the house of God. It says in 2 Chronicles 28 and 24 that he shut the doors of the house of God. How would you like that on your kingly record from your resume? What did you do in your kingdom time? Well, I reinstated abortion. I reinstated the murder of the, of the, of the innocent. And then I also closed the house of God. That's sad, isn't it? It started with granddad. Granddad did something wrong and he should have repented and asked God to forgive him. Uh, the son would not go into the house of God. The grandson closed the doors to the house of God. Don't think for one second that things in the past that happened don't have an impact on all of us. But there's, still all, there's always light. There's always hope. And at 25 years old, the son of Ahaz was a fellow named Hezekiah. And Hezekiah reigned for 29 years. You read about this in 2 Chronicles 29 and 3. And I love this. I'm going to give you a few verses from the reign of Hezekiah. And remember, Isaiah is preaching all through this. The servant of God is preaching, preaching, preaching. And in 2 Chronicles 29 and 3, it says, He, Hezekiah, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that a a great thing to rejoice over? That this godly king, this godly leader, he reinstituted that which had been taken away by his father. You know, that had to be a little bit of a rub in the family, you know? He had to go against the grain of what his dad had done. Not only that, it says that he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street and said unto them, the king says, hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which is evil in the sight of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. How would you like to hear a leader of a country saying things like that? 
Encouraging the ministry. Saying, let's repent. Let's turn. You know, it's so simple. And look, I'm not here to preach politics or some kind of national revival. I'm telling you, revivals through the ages have only, spiritual revivals, have only ever been connected with, only, search it out in history, they've only ever been connected with a return to the Word of God. You say, well, who's preaching the Word of God? Well, in this day and time, Isaiah was. I hope and pray in this day and time, we have ministers of the Gospel that will preach the Word of God and proclaim the Word of God and speak it in love. If you want revival, it's not going to come from Washington, D.C., It's not going to come from Montgomery, Alabama. It's going to come from your home. You need revival in your home. You need need to hear the Word of God preached like Isaiah was preaching, unafraid to preach. Now, this is very important because we're going to see what happens, what is believed to have happened to Isaiah not long after these days. In the days of Hezekiah, though, Isaiah had been preaching for, what, 30 years Don't you know he felt sad and and afraid? Nobody's listening to me. These kings have instituted abortion. These kings have instituted idolatry. These kings are are taking the people's minds and hearts because they're influencers and they're taking the people's minds and hearts away from God. And Isaiah just kept on preaching, kept on preaching. That ought to be a lesson for us preachers, huh? (laughs) Just keep on preaching the truth of God. And in 2 Chronicles 30 and 26, it tells us that in the days that Hezekiah was in office, that he instituted the Passover again. He opened the house of God and he, they had one of the greatest Passovers that has ever occurred. It says in verse 26, 2 Chronicles 30, So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there was not the like in Jerusalem. You've heard Brother McNeil talk about Solomon this morning. And there were good days for Solomon, but there were some very, very more, I would say more bad days than good days. And here is a reference to those good days of Solomon. It says there was not a time held in Jerusalem for a Passover since the days of Solomon. Not only that, I think it's interesting to note that Hezekiah also destroyed, in 2 Kings 18 and 4, it says that he destroyed the brass serpent that Moses had fashioned. You say, I thought that thing passed away whenever they came out of Egypt. Nope. You know what they'd done? They'd kept that brass serpent and they'd stuck it over somewhere in the temple. And, and eventually, in the tabernacle and in the temple. And eventually they probably put a sign over it that said, the great brass serpent. You know, let's worship the brass serpent because that's what saved everybody's life whenever they were bitten with vipers. I'm telling you, that brass serpent didn't save anybody. It was the power of God that healed the people who looked upon the brass serpent. You see? And Hezekiah, he went against the grain and he took that brass serpent and he called it Nehushtan, which means it is nothing. It's just a piece of brass. And he destroyed it. Don't you know there were some older folks probably in there and maybe some younger folks too. Oh no, we can't let that tradition go. (laughs) He called it what it was. He destroyed it and he got rid of it. These were good years. I would say these were the best years of Isaiah. These were the years that things were going great. You can imagine Isaiah would sit down at night and he would think, oh, my preaching's paid off. Everything's going wonderful. Well, sadly, the reign of King Hezekiah came to an end after 29 years and a fellow named Manasseh the worst king that's ever, probably the worst king that's ever served over Judah. He was 12 years old when he began to reign. He reigned for 55 years. And you can't read it in the scripture, but it is believed commonly that Isaiah lived as an old man into the reign of Manasseh. And it's, it is believed from historical evidence that Isaiah was sawn in two by Manasseh. If you read over in the book of Hebrews where it talks about those that were persecuted and martyred for the sake of the Lord, it says there were those that were sawn asunder. You remember that? 
It is believed that Isaiah, that prophet who probably was 125 years old, you'd think there'd be a little more respect for a guy at that age than to saw him in half with a, with a knife or with a saw. But that's very possible what happened to Isaiah. What an end. What a beginning. He starts off his ministry in the year that King Isaiah died and he sees the Lord high and lifted up in the temple. And he ends his ministry being possibly being sawn in half by one of the most wicked kings that has ever lived. Second Kings 21, I want to read this to you in verse 16. You say, what was so bad about Manasseh? I mean, surely he wasn't that bad. In 2 Kings 21, around verse 16, Manasseh had reinstated idolatry as the national religion, and he'd also reinstated abortion. And it says in verse 16 of 2 Kings 21, Moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. You know what innocent blood is. The Lord says in Proverbs that there's seven things that he hates, and one of the things that God hates is the shedding of innocent blood. That is the shedding, in our day and time, of how to understand that is the shedding of the life of the unborn. That's an innocent blood. See, they can't defend themselves. They can't take up for themselves. And yes, this was the shedding of the blood of the innocents in abortion, but it could be like the days whenever they put up a kangaroo court, you know, and and brought these false witnesses and said, this guy said this, and they put him to death. That's over in another account in the days of another king, but it could be that way. An innocent man who was framed. It could be that, but primarily the meaning is it's talking about the murder of the innocents, the little children, the babies. It says that he filled Jerusalem from one end to another. And one of the reasons that I think that this little scenario here is important is because in in a more of a microcosmic way in our nation, you know, we see somebody that goes on the throne, so to speak, or into the White House who is pro-life, and then one who's pro-death, and then another who's pro-life. and It's just a swing back and forth, isn't it? That should never comfort us. We should never, okay, well, it may swing back. We should never be comforted by the, the horrors and the, and of sin and the shedding of innocent blood. There's no comfort in that ever. You see, it's just filling up blood in the streets of our nation to where the Lord ultimately says, and may have already said, they're judged. That's how God feels about innocent blood. By the way, that's what God did with Manasseh. He filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and God said, you're judged, I'm done, you're going into captivity. So I tell you that to think about the microcosm that we're in, you know, every four years, every two years, every six years, you know, things kind of turn over and turn over. We should never feel like, okay, well, everything's great because there's a turnover. No, we should grieve and continue to preach the truth of God because it's not about politics, it's about what God's Word says. You see? You say, well, we can just write Manasseh off. You better not. Side note here real quick. Second Chronicles 33, verses 10 through 13. Manasseh, the worst king that ever lived in Judah. It says in verse 10, And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. And all the people that have no mercy say, Yeah, he got what he deserved. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God. What? Are you sure this is still Manasseh? And he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him. And he was entreated of him and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. And Manasseh went on to do some things to honor God. You say, that's just too much mercy and grace. (laughs) Oh, child of grace, you need to look in the mirror. You can't have too much mercy and grace. So before we go out dealing out death and judgment and fire and brimstone, you just remember the leaders of the world, their hearts are in the hand of God. And instead of being angry and mad about what they're doing or not doing, pray that the God who holds them in His hand would whisper in their ear or burden their heart. 
They might turn out like Manasseh. So we come to Isaiah 20 for the last few minutes here, which was a really strange section of scripture. And I'll just tell you where Isaiah 20 falls into place in the days of Hezekiah. And it's in the days of Hezekiah before King Sennacherib comes to destroy Jerusalem. It's about seven years when Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 20. And what's going on basically is the king of Assyria is taking all the lands around Judah. He's tearing them up all around. The Philistines, all these people around, he's just wearing them out, taking everybody captive. And the Lord says, give my people a sign, Isaiah. You will be the sign. Take your shoes off, take your prophet's coat off, and go and prophesy to them. And you're walking around naked and barefooted as a sign to the people. Don't be tempted to trust in these other nations because Assyria is destroying these other nations. (laughs) And lo and behold, about seven years later, I guess they got the sign. Because whenever the king of Assyria sends somebody to destroy Jerusalem seven years later, what does Hezekiah do? He asks Isaiah to pray to the Lord, and that's whenever the Lord sent out one angel and destroyed 180,000 of the Assyrians. Are y'all with me? You see, Isaiah 20 doesn't really have any bearing. Yes, it does. Because seven years before the king came, the people saw the sign of the servant, and they got it, and they stuck with it. You see? So seven years later, whenever they have trouble knocking on their door, they don't turn to Egypt. They don't turn to Ethiopia. They don't turn to some other nation to help them. They turn to the Lord their God. What a lesson for us. So what was the sign of the servant? It's how he presented himself. I just really had a good laugh about this and meditating and thinking about this the other night, thinking about, you know, being without your shirt on and barefooted, you know, we've all had dreams like that. You know, maybe you're sitting in a classroom and you didn't have your school clothes on or something. It just makes you feel weird. Or maybe you've been somewhere and you thought, man, I need shoes on. Everybody else is wearing shoes. I thought about Brother Chris, you know, some of y'all heard the story, you know, when he passed out and they took him to the hospital. He didn't have time to grab his shoes and he had to sneak back in the Renaissance Hotel in Montgomery in blue hospital footies. <laughs> if you haven't heard that story, just see me later. It's a good one. But how uncomfortable would you be? How would it be if I put on some blue hospital footies and went to court? Well, you think the judge is going to look at me and say, well, son, what you doing? You know, I was thinking back in high school, we were traveling. I was a senior. I was a 11th grade in high school. And we were going to the Alabama Shakespeare Festival. And there were two fellas on that bus that at that time, I'm sure they've made up since then, but they were mortal enemies, Dewey and Terry. And every time you turned around, they were hitting each other in class, you know, popping each other in the arm. You know, they were doing stuff to each other all the time. It was, it was kind of an ongoing funny thing. So we're, we're all, if y'all have ever been to the Alabama Shakespeare Festival, it's a nice place. You don't just walk in there, you know, looking like a corn cob, you know. <laughs> it's a nice place. And I like it. I always enjoyed going. I was an English major, and I enjoyed it in college, and I enjoyed that stuff. So we were going to see a play. We're all decked out, looking nice. Everybody's got their best on. So Dewey and Terry get in a fight <laughs> on the bus. And so... Terry ripped Dewey's shirt and all the buttons popped off. And of course, you know, being loving and kind like they were to each other, you know, Dewey reached back and ripped Terry's shirt and all the buttons popped off. So we're all sitting there laughing. This is going to be funny. They're going to walk in, you know, where they're looking like some kind of antichrist Elvis or something, you know, with their, <laughs> with their shirts down to their, showing their chest at the Alabama Shakespeare Festival. Well, Terry was resourceful, very resourceful young man, and he found a straw on the, on the floor, and he sewed his button back on with a straw. And I thought, man, that's amazing. That guy's going to go far. <laughs> but poor old Dewey, he had to walk in the Alabama Shakespeare Festival, you know, with his shirt. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you, I don't remember anything about the play or the experience at the Shakespeare Festival, but I remember Dewey walking in there with his shirt open because <laughs> Terry had ripped his shirt open. 
And I was thinking, I was embarrassed for him. I was thinking, this is so embarrassing. You think about how embarrassing that is to think, I don't have the proper clothes on. And here is God telling Isaiah, I want you to walk around and embarrass yourself for my name's sake. Again, he's not telling him to go completely stark naked, but he is telling him, make yourself a sign to these people. So when they see you coming, they, they know there's something different about you. Walk barefoot and walk shirtless. If you look in the book of Isaiah, you'll find Isaiah is layered with signs. One of the most notable signs, if you want to understand a little about a sign, it says Isaiah 7 and 14, that a sign would be given, a virgin shall conceive. That's a pretty significant sign, isn't it? By the way, the modern translations usually say that a young woman shall conceive. I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing significant about that because young women uh, conceive all of the time. But when a virgin conceives, there is something significant about that. That's a sign. You ought to perk up and say, wait a minute. Are you kidding me? How did that happen? It happened by a miracle of God. So a sign is something that points you to something. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ points you to the fact that he is the son of God. And Isaiah walking around the way that he was walking around without his prophet's coat and barefooted was a sign to the people of God to point them to something. So I ask you the question, are you a sign as a servant of God? Does your sign that you put forth, does it mean anything? Think about the different categories. Whether it's your clothes or in our day and time, it may be the lack of clothes, right? Or what about your social media, the things that you like and the things that you click on? What about the T-shirts that we wear? You know, I wear sometimes a Crimson Tide T-shirt because I love Alabama football. (laughs) And somebody sees me coming, what do they think? In the South, at least, they think, uh, really all over the nation, there's a guy who's a fan of Alabama Crimson Tide football, see? Think about the things that you wear and the things that you support. If I walked in with a rainbow across my shirt and on my back, and I intend for that to be a sign of my belief in the mercy of God because of the rainbow that God put in the sky after the flood, there's a lot of people that wouldn't interpret it that way. Are y'all with me? It's a, sign, it's a sign of God. That rainbow is a sign of God that has been perverted by wicked men. So here comes Isaiah, and he doesn't have his prophet coat on, and he's barefooted, and everybody's looking him up and down. And he's saying to them, I'm a sign. I'm sent to be a sign to you. So specifically, for us today, are we a sign to the Lord? As servants, we ought to be. How we live, how we dress, how we act, This is not legalism, brothers and sisters. I don't believe that Isaiah was a legalist. (laughs) I believe he was a sincere servant of God who at all costs was willing to lay down his life and do what the Lord told him to do. So whether it's the way you dress or the way that you like this or you like that, think about it. Our lives ought to be a sign. We ought to be servants who are giving off the signs of being a servant. John the Baptist, you saw him coming. You knew what he was all about. He had that camel's hair on, and he was eating locusts and wild honey. I'm not advocating going out and eating locusts and wild honey by any means. When Elijah came around, you, you knew who he was. You knew what he was about. Does the community, does the neighborhood, does our culture, does society, do our posts, do our likes, our dislikes, does it, 
does it demonstrate what we're about? Does it demonstrate who we are? Does it say, I am a servant of God? I'm going to dress differently. I'm going to act differently. I'm going to speak differently. The things I support, the things I advocate, the things I do not advocate, I'm going to base those things on what God says. You see, that takes it into a whole different realm, doesn't it? That takes it away from the realm of of petty politics with finger pointing going on all the time. It takes it away from the realm of, well, I like this, or I feel like this, or I feel like that. It takes it away from all that. And it sets the standard where it should be, which is the standard that God sets, which is in His Word. And then somebody says, well, I don't know if that's really the Word of God or not. Well, that's a whole other issue to deal with altogether. Because there are those that say that. I don't even know that that's a proper standard. We're living in times when there is no sign. There is whatever your sign, whatever you want it to be, is just whatever you want it to be. See? Thank goodness our Lord was a sign, wasn't He? He was more than a sign. Isaiah 59 and 15, it says, Yea, truth faileth. This is Isaiah the prophet, still writing by the way. Yea, truth faileth. And he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. And he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness that sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, and an helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and was clad with zeal as a cloak. (laughs) You see, that's what the Lord did. The Lord put on garments. The Lord came, and what he did was a sign to us. I tell you, Jesus Himself said, there shall no sign be given unto this generation except the sign of the prophet Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of earth, the earth three days and three nights. His resurrection is a sign to us. He put on the garments of, of justice. He put on the garments of righteousness and of salvation. And He still wears them today. What are we wearing? What kind of garments are we wearing? I'm not telling you to take your shoes off and go to court (laughs) please don't wear your pajamas to court the judge will send you out of there I'm not telling you to take your prophet's coat off and go around barefooted I'm telling you that when you whether it's all the way down to how you dress and present yourself on a daily basis or what you like on your social media or what you support or what you advocate the driving force behind all of that should be I want to be signaling that I'm a servant of the Lord. That's all Isaiah did over 80 years of ministry. I'll never forget when I was in ninth grade. This has made me think back a good bit and had a few good laughs. When I was in ninth grade, I was a fan of Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones. And so before the Friday night after football game dance, I had purchased me, it wasn't an authentic Harrison Ford hat. And that, that's one thing that made it even funnier. <laughs> it was sort of an off color, you know, wasn't exactly what it needed to be, but it's all I could find. I still got that gray hat. Mama still got it at the house. But there's this little gray hat. It's almost a cowboy hat, but not quite an Indiana Jones hat. And you talk about somebody being so nervous when I was walking from the field house to that, go to that dance And of course, every one of my wonderful, loving, godly friends looked at me and said, but I kept it on. (laughs) 
I made it through that dance with that hat on. I think it was swollen to my head. I'd sweated so much in it. I was so nervous and afraid. That was all to the glory of Tim. That's what Tim wanted to do. I'm not asking you to do what Tim wants to do. I'm not asking you to pray about this and think about how you present yourself and think, well, what does Brother Tim think? I'm calling you to a higher standard. I'm calling you to the standard that Isaiah followed when the Lord said, hey, buddy, take your shirt off, take your shoes off, and go out there and look like a fool. It's okay to look like a fool if you're acting like a fool for the Lord. (laughs) I love every one of you. And I pray the Lord will burden you to continue to follow the Lord and be servants of the Lord. One of the best ways that you can demonstrate that is by becoming a part of His church in baptism. We give you that opportunity as we stand and sing some song.